Welcome back everyone to episode two of Taxes Made Simple, where we dive into critically important tax details for small businesses and individuals in terms that the average person will understand. With us today is Chase Berkey, CEO of Dark Horse CPAs, as well as a guest speaker, Eric Hegstead, who runs our Dark Horse office out of Colorado. Eric is actually gonna give us a little overview on the most common types of small business entities that most entrepreneurs can choose from when formalizing their business. So we're gonna go into some of the pros and cons and let's dive in. So Chase, give us a little overview of what we're gonna talk about. Yeah, so this is actually one that I'm pretty excited about because all entrepreneurs at some point along the line ask this very same question um, and you know, may ask it multiple times as they have multiple businesses. And you know, that question is what type of entity should I be for this venture? Um, and so as Dark Horse CPAs, we're working with small businesses, you know, really from start to uh, that point where they're, you know, really scaling beyond about 50 employees, you know, so we're in this conversation often and it's one that is invaluable because you want to get started on the right foot. You want to make sure you understand uh, you know, what type of entity is right for your situation, which you might have to put away some of the tax considerations to look at some of the other considerations like, you know, investment. Uh, so, you know, there's just a lot, you know, that, that really needs to be uh, talked about here. And Justin, you know, I know that we specifically had this conversation with you, you know, so it's uh, one that's definitely uh, familiar for you as well. Um, and, you know, it's just one of those things you want to get right from the start. Uh, so there's no better time to start thinking about it than now. Yeah. I mean, I remember when we had, like, I mean, that was four years ago now and that was pretty important. I mean, I was just jumping into starting my business and I had no concept of what I was supposed to do and how I was supposed to set it up. And so, yeah, that, that was critical in my business's success. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are saying the same thing. You know, am I set up for success if I'm going to start this venture? It's, it's one of the first things that could make or break, right? Your long-term success. So, yeah. right. 100%, you know, so, and there are, you know, a lot of instances where you start off one way because it makes sense when you're small, you know, and then you scale to a certain point where it's like, you know, maybe that S corporation doesn't make as much sense, you know, because you've got investors that can't invest in an S corporation, um, you know, or you just have uh, investors that don't want a K1, right? So there's, there's things that enter the equation, but you want to get started on the right foot, you know, so that you can, you know, have the best foundation to grow that business, you know, and then be able to uh, pivot if need be, you know, once you have that level of success. So, you know, without giving away too much uh, of what Eric's going to talk about, uh, Eric, we're very happy to have you. How's it going? It's going well. Thanks for having me. Good. So let's kick it off here. Let's get right into it. Uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, what your experience has been with clients when it comes to entity selection. You know, are there any common misconceptions that people typically have? Yeah, I've had, you know, quite a bit of experience, everything from, you know, a sole proprietor up to, up to the corporate level entities, um, helping people along the way, kind of finding what's the best fit, what makes the most sense for them, um, which like you mentioned, will potentially change as time goes by over the years, um, something to, to reevaluate and come back to and, and, and kind of check in and see where they're at and what, what, what the best option is going forward. Um, some of the misconceptions, there's, you know, some people think, you know, starting out of the gates that they, they need all the bells and whistles and they need to, you know, go full blown with their entity when it, it, it may not be the case. And, you know, then on the other side of the spectrum, there's others who think, 
you know, I'm just, I'm just a small, a small business, a small little venture. I don't, I don't need to set up an LLC. I don't need, you know, to, to go, go down those roads. Um, so really, I mean, overall, it's just helping people know what they don't know and, and educating them along the way from everything from taxation to, you know, potentially raising money down the road. So how exactly have you gone about figuring out which entity type that you're going to recommend to a client based on their situation? Well, you like to learn, you know, what, what their industry is, what they're doing. Um, there are certain restrictions, certain professional organizations um, have restrictions on the entity type that they can choose. But then you kind of look at how many people are involved, what, the, what their income levels at, um, how, how big a goals do they have? Are they going to be needing to raise a lot of money in the future? Is it a closely held entity? Um, just kind of evaluating all those things and getting the full picture of, of where they're at now and where they plan to go in the future kind of helps paint that initial picture of, of what the best route is. Awesome. So what if a client has already created, you know, an LLC or a corporation, you know, cause they just needed to get started, you know, get that bank account, get the EIN and all that. And then they come to you after the fact, um, you know, what do you do or what can you do uh, after the fact when the entity's already been created uh, to help make sure they're in the right vehicle? Yeah, sometimes, um, you know, they've been operating for a few, a few years and, and, they're, and they're going well. And, and that's usually a place where we can provide some value and looking at does making an S selection make sense? Um, you know, if they have an S selection, you know, revoking that and going, going to the corporate route, does that, does that make sense? Um, or maybe get it treated like a partnership. Um, and sometimes there's situations where you kind of look at where they're at and what's going on and think you know, it might just make more sense just to start over. I mean, there might be a quick and easy exit strategy there and, and start scratch, start from scratch and, and, and build it up again with the right, you know, the right footing, the right entity structure to, to accomplish their goals. Yeah, totally. I mean, I absolutely, uh, you know, uh, agree with that. And, you know, one of the things that I've told clients before is, you know, if you have the LLC, if that's what you started with, because that's usually the easiest to form, the most flexible, you know, we might just kind of wait, right, to see what your numbers start looking like, because you might want to make the S selection if you get to a certain, uh, you know, net income number. Uh, but you may not know that because you're just starting out and there's a lot of unknowns out there. But as long as we're tackling that before year end, you know, we can run the payroll needed, make a retroactive S election, all that sort of stuff. So there's definitely some fluidity in this, you know, that I think it's uh, good for uh, entrepreneurs to understand that it's, it's not just a static decision you make once and that you're done with. Uh, it, it can be more of a fluid situation. Um, but putting that aside, you know, what are the main types of entities out there that our listeners should be aware of specifically entrepreneurs, you know, what entity types should they be looking at? So the few that we're going to focus on are the sole proprietor, uh, the partnership, both limited partnership and general partnerships, um, LLCs, S corps, all the way up to C corps. Well, let's start with maybe the lowest hanging fruit, the easiest one here. Tell us about a sole proprietorship. How does one go about setting one of these up? Very simple. All you do is go out and start a business, start you know, generating revenue, start selling widgets, start consulting or coaching or whatever, whatever it might be. Um, there's no 
there's no formality to it. As soon as you, you know, go out and start generating revenue, you've essentially become a sole proprietor and you've, you've started, started a business. So who would you typically recommend this entity type to? A lot of times it's, I mean, nowadays you see a lot of folks who are doing stuff online, whether it's selling, selling widgets, like I mentioned, or, um, you know, maybe it's somebody who has a, you know, a day job and they start doing something on the side, um, whether that is consulting type, type work or advising or, or physically selling something, but they're not really sure if it, it's a real business. Um, and they're not sure how it's going to, how it's going to take off. They just, you know, had an idea and they, they acted on it and they started making some money. Um, those are, those are kind of the ideal people who would, would fall into the sole proprietor realm. And, and so it's probably safe to say too, that this might be an area where you'd want to get an attorney involved to really see if there's any exposure, you know, liability wise for whatever business they're in to make sure that they're not totally unprotected and unshielded from their personal assets. Is that, would you say that's fair? Yeah, I would agree. Um, one of the things you generally recommend is at least some sort of umbrella insurance policy to help out um, just to protect their own personal assets. Right. So dovetailing into, you know, that liability uh, discussion, you know, what are some of the pros and cons of being a sole proprietorship, you know, really as it relates to, you know, how it compares to other entity types out there? Well, like I mentioned, the pros, one of the pros is that it's easy to set up. You just go out and you, and you start, you start generating revenue, you start doing business and um, you get a hundred percent of that revenue. Uh, you also get to make all the decisions and you know, you are 100% in charge of, of what's going on. Um, the cons with being a hundred percent in charge, you are on your own. So sometimes, you know, you don't have partners to lean on and, and, and people to go to when you, when you have questions within the business. Um, and also you're being taxed at, at an individual rate, which can get above that corporate rate. Um, sometimes it's, it's hard to find funding and, and loans. People aren't going to invest necessarily in a, in a sole proprietor like they would in, in a corporation. And sometimes banks can be a little leery of lending to a sole proprietor. Um, there's really no separation between you and the business, which, which can be a con if, if, if things were to go, were to go South. Gotcha. So really, you know, because there is no separation there, if it goes South, you've got no legal entity shielding you from liability. Correct. Yep. Gotcha. And so what are, you know, some of the common recommendations that you have for your sole proprietor clients? One of the things is I would, I would at least set up a DBA, which is doing business as um, some sort of name that you can, that you can go by. It just, it just comes off better if you were, if you were able to do that. Um, I'd also go ahead and get an EIN. So you don't have to give out your social security number uh, when you're working with people and, you know, getting payments, making payments, stuff like that. Just having that EIN makes it so you're not floating your social security number around there. Um, that's kind of the main stuff. And, and the other thing is the insurance, that umbrella policy is, is something at the very least I would recommend having. Awesome. Justin, are you taking notes here? Yeah. I mean, obviously this is, this is stuff that's way over my head. No, I'm not a sole provider, <laughs> right? I'm, I'm, I'm more focused on the LLC route because that's obviously what you guys recommended. I would, I should be set up as. Right. So, so 
that's a perfect segue. So let's talk about partnerships, which an LLC is a form of a partnership. So some of the you know common uh, partnerships out there are the GP, which stands for general partnership, an LP, which stands for limited partnership, LLP, which is a limited liability partnership. And as you mentioned, Justin, the LLC, which is a limited liability company, all of these entity types, and there are more of these, but they're all partnerships. Um, and so they're all pass-through entities. Um, so which partnership types is it most important for our listeners to understand? So a general partnership, a GP, um, basically, you know, it's kind of like a sole proprietor. It's unincorporated, but there's two people. They're, at, they're on equal footing. Um, they, e they equally share the, the income and they're responsible for the liabilities and the debts. Both of them are going to be active in the, in the partnership as opposed to an LP, a limited partnership. Um, you usually have a silent partner. There's so maybe somebody who, you know, has contributed capital cap into the partnership and a general partner in there who is more active as far as day-to-day -day and running the business. Um, the limited partner is limited in, you know, their responsibility and their share of the, the debts and the liabilities. Um, so if that were to go south, they kind of have kind of have an out there. Um, and then the LLC is, you know, there's more work up front to set this up. It is a legal entity. I mean, you go ahead, you create a legal name that you file the articles of organization with the state, um, have an operating agreement. There's some annual periodic reports that are required. Usually you want to get an attorney involved when you're setting up an LLC, just because it is more formal. This is for the folks that have that idea and it, they've, they've grown the business and it is going well and they just want to get a little bit more protection. Like the name says, limited liability. There's, there's more protection for them personally and their assets um, while running their business. So outside of the, you know, initial formation, you know, some of the formalities that go along with that and some of the things you have to do that, you know, may cost you time and or money. Um, why would someone choose to be a general or a limited partnership as opposed to an LLC? I think they would, they would stick in that general or limited partnership realm because they're not, not quite worried about things going south. I mean, maybe it is just a venture and they're seeing how it's going. And if things do go south, they say, oh, okay, I lost my money. And they're not necessarily worried about someone on the outside coming in. So that liability protection of an LLC is, is something that, that, is beneficial for, for setting up an LLC. Right. And also, you know, in certain States, California being one of them, an LLC has got to pay that minimum franchise tax of $800, which every entrepreneur in California loves. Um, whereas, you know, at least a general partnership uh, does not have that. So there are, you know, some things too. And I think it goes to your point about, you know, how serious they are about the business and where they're trying to take it. Right. So talk to me a bit about pass through income. How does it work and how do distributions of cash from the partnership factor into all of this? So pass-through income is the, the income that, that flows from the business to the individuals for tax purposes. So, I mean, if you have an LLC um, and, and you generate, generate revenue, ultimately the LLC is not taxed and that revenue, that income ends up being taxed at the individual level. So for example, you have a partnership LLC in the first year of operations, they have taxable income, 
say 100,000, there's two partners, um, one's 60% owner, one's a 40% owner. Regardless of the distributions, one partner is going to end up with $60,000 of taxable income and the other will have $40,000 of taxable income. And that's going to flow through their personal return and that's where they're going to pay the tax. Um, so if they both took $50,000 in distributions, then the 60% partner would end up having 10,000 left in their after-tax account known as their basis in the company to pull out in, in later years tax-free. And the 40% partner then would have exceeded their basis by 10,000, which would mean they would actually have a $10,000 capital gain that they would have to recognize beyond the 40,000 that we just mentioned. Gotcha. Just a oh, question, quick question on that. Yeah. So in that situation, the, 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 uh, the 60% owner that got 50 grand, he's actually paying taxes that year on his 60% ownership. Is that correct? Even though he only was distributed 50,000? Correct. Got it. Yeah, and so this can, you know, be a little bit of a thorn for people like, I didn't get that money, you know, and why should I pay tax on it? Unfortunately, that's just how it works. But there is something called a guaranteed payment, which can kind of help work around some of these inconsistencies between um, the income you're taxed on versus the money that you actually receive from the partnership. So, <clears throat> Eric, how exactly do these defer, you know, these guaranteed payments defer from distributions? And also how might the partners in the previous example have used guaranteed payments to avoid having their capital accounts diverge? Right, um, so yeah, so guaranteed payments are different than distributions where dif distributions are, you know, earnings that the company has that are distributed out tax-free to the partners where distribution, or excuse me, guaranteed payments are, you know, something they've agreed upon, whether it's somebody who's in there actively working and uh, they're, they're saying, we're going to guarantee you this amount of money, um, regardless if we make money this year, if we lose money this year, and then that guaranteed payment is treated as an expense on the business side. So it reduces the income. And, and then on the individual side, they, they will have income uh, you know, based on that payment coming to them. Right. I think it, you know, bears mentioning that guaranteed payments are really the only way to take salary uh, from a partnership, um, you know, as opposed to uh, a W-2 or 1099, if you are an owner providing services for the company. Uh, I think a lot of people uh, get tripped up on this and they think, well, I should just be paying myself via W-2. But if you're an owner uh, of that partnership, you're actually not supposed to do that. I mean, what's the downside of taking money via guaranteed payments as opposed to just taking distributions of profits? So but one of the main downsides is uh, it's going to reduce your qualified business income deduction, QBID, um, that goes down. So in that previous example where you had $100,000 of income, um, if you were to take you know, those $50,000 distributions and make them guaranteed payments. Now, all of a sudden your income is zero um, and your QBI deduction would be zero as well because you didn't have any income. And you think about QBI and the deduction 20%. Um, that's, I mean, 
granted, you have to have income, which is going to be taxable, but getting that deduction is, is beneficial. 100%. Yeah. I mean, we actually have had uh, a number of taxpayers uh, restate their operating agreement, you know, to get rid of that uh, guaranteed payment aspect and, um, you know, make sure that their compensation is coming in the form of profits distributions for that, you know, exact reason. So, uh, you know, when people talk about a tax distribution from their partnership, what are they referring to? And why is this a good provision for companies to consider? A tax distribution from the partnership is when, you know, the partnership kind of has an agreement that says, you know, you're going to get a K-1 that shows this amount of income and you're going to have a personal tax liability based on that. And regardless if you see cash or not to help cover that liability. So the tax distribution comes in and they say, we'll look at that. And maybe that's, you know, 30, 35% of what that income is, we'll distribute that cash out to you just to help cover that tax liability. Gotcha. And so at least from what I've seen, you know, that's, that's a, a provision for companies that are trying to keep as much, you know, capital within the company as possible, but, you know, just don't want to uh, put their, their investors in an adverse tax situation. Hey everyone, this is Chase Berkey, CEO of Dark Horse CPAs. If you're an entrepreneur, an investor, a co-founder, or someone who just has a complicated tax situation, you should absolutely consider reaching out to a Dark Horse CPA like Eric Hagstad. In fact, if you like what Eric's talking about today, you can actually reach out to him directly at eric at darkhorse.cpa. And that's Eric with a K. Unlike most firms where you'd end up working with lower level staff members, if you engage with Eric, he will be your CPA, the one you call, email, and meet with for all of your tax needs. And you can find your very own Dark Horse CPA on our website, where you'll be able to see their areas of expertise. Just go to darkhorse.cpa slash team. And once again, that's darkhorse.cpa slash team to find a CPA that will help you understand your taxes and how to minimize them. I'd like to talk about, you know, the entity type that is probably most entrepreneurs' favorite entity type, um, at least maybe the most popular one that we see, uh, and that is the S corporation. So why exactly is this entity type so popular? The S corporation uh, offers more asset protection, similar to a, the, the C corp, um, but still provides the pass-through income um, that, that people like while avoiding that double taxation situation that the C-Corps get into. Um, they can, you know, they can sell stocks so they can easily attract shareholders and uh, up to a hundred. Um, and one big difference between, you know, a partnership and the, and the S-Corp is that they're not subject to the SE tax, the self-employment tax. Gotcha. And that's just on the pass-through income portion, correct? Correct. Gotcha. So, uh, does a business form an S corporation with their secretary of state? No, you make an S election um, through the IRS. There's a form 2553 that's, that's filed with the IRS to make that S election. Gotcha. So what if someone wants to make an S election after they've created their corporation or their LLC? That's totally fine. Um, you can see that quite a, quite a bit um, where they have an LLC that's been operating for a few years and, you know, we'll sit down and work with them and say, if you were to make the S election, this is what your tax situation looks like. If you, you know, keep going as you are, this is what it looks like and kind of evaluate 
that situation and it's not something that needs to be done up front or else it's lost forever you can you can revisit that and make an s election down the road right yeah i mean so long as they don't file as a different entity type um you know then typically they'd be precluded from making that election at least for that tax year but if they haven't filed returns uh, then that is definitely open to them so how exactly is an s corporation similar and different to a partnership well they're similar they both have that pass-through income to the owners and they they both get the the qbid deduction qualified business income deduction um one of the differences is, like I mentioned, the no self-employment tax, which can be which can be very advantageous. Um, as an S corp, the distributions out to the partners must be pro rata, so you can't, you know, just kind of decide to, you know, give one partner this amount and and another partner a different amount that's not in line with with their operating agreement. Um, and you know, you have to pay yourself you know, wages as a as a the owner of the S corp, you have to pay yourself what's referred to as a reasonable wage. Right. We see people get both of those items wrong all the time. You know, when it comes to the pro rata distributions, they might be giving the main shareholder a distribution and then, you know, screwing up with the math to catch everyone else up. Uh, so we see a lot of people run afoul there. Um, and also, yeah, with that officer compensation, you know, that salary that you need to pay uh, the, you know, officer, you know, the owner, operator, uh, a lot of people get that wrong, you know, because, uh, you know, a lot of people have been told, well, if you do 50% of your taxable income uh, and you run that through as W-2, you're good. And that's unfortunately too simplistic. There's many more variables that the IRS would consider uh, in terms of whether you met that provision. But what's the downside if they're not following, uh, you know, some of these requirements? Well, uh, yeah, they could lose their S election and, and then they would revert back to, you know, the, the entity structure that they had before. Right. So how exactly then does an S corporation compare to a, a C corporation? So uh, comparing it to a C corp, they're both separate legal entities. The, the liability protection is greater there. So shareholders aren't personally liable for the debts of the company. Um, a lot of times they'll both have directors and, and officers. Um, one of the differences with a C corp is they don't have that you know, limit on the number of shareholders at a hundred. Um, they can have different classes of stock, which you see a lot where, you know, different, maybe with a corp, different rounds of investors will have different classes of stock. Um, and then like I mentioned before, the, the double taxation that, the C corps are faced with isn't isn't there for the S corps, right? So if you're going to get double taxed as a C corporation, you know why would a company opt to be a C corporation if it could otherwise qualify as an S corp? The main reason is you know the number of investors you can I mean the capital that you can raise and is much greater when you go the C corp route, just because there's, there's not a limit on, on, you know, a hundred shareholders. So you can, you can really expand and grow. And ultimately if you, if you wanted to go public, that would be the route you would need to go. 
Right. And there's also an argument too, at least under our current tax code, which could be changing. Uh, you can reference episode one of the podcast talking about Biden's tax plan on that one. But currently at 21% maximum corporate tax rate, you know, the argument could also be made that if you're just trying to reinvest profits back into the company, uh, that the most advantageous vehicle to do that is a C-Corp uh, because you don't have that potentially much higher level of tax uh, at the individual level. And, you know, I think the other thing that our listeners really should take into account is what happens at the state level, you know, because at California, they're going to tax an LLC, an S-Corp, a C-Corp differently. Uh, so you need to take that into consideration here. So an LLC, you're going to pay taxes on your gross receipts. Um, an S corporation, you're going to pay tax on 1.5% of your net taxable income. And a C corporation is going to pay, you know, about 8.8% uh, tax to California. So there are some pretty significant differences, you know, in terms of uh, how the state can tax these different entity types. So specifically with California, you know, if you're a high revenue business, low margin, you know, you're probably going to want to be either an S or a C corp, you know, to lower your taxes there because the LLC is going to tax you based on your gross receipts, which in California that can get up to, you know, north of $12,000. Uh, whereas, you know, if you have low margins an S corporation, you're going to pay 1.5% tax. California, you're going to pay 8.84%. So, you know, ultimately that is a huge consideration that everyone needs to take account, uh, you know, when you're deciding on your entity type because state taxes are still a very real thing. So Chase, as we're wrapping up here, I, I had a question as you guys were talking. You know, I've heard that a lot of C-Corps are Delaware C-Corps. You know, what does that mean? Why, why do so many companies choose to, to create their business entity in Delaware as opposed to some other state or even the state that they're operating in? Right. I mean, some people think it's a tax reason. It's like if I'm a California entity and I register or create my entity in Delaware, you know, do I get to skip out on some of the franchise tax? Uh, the answer is no. You still have to register as a foreign entity in California. However, you know, the real reason that Delaware corporations are so popular is really because of the amount of case law that's out there, uh, you know, and specifically just the laws uh, surrounding, uh, you know, investors' rights and just how the business operates, uh, you know, from a shareholder perspective. So when it comes, you know, to a investor, you know, investing in a company, you know, especially serial investors, uh, you know, they're going to have a preference to invest in a Delaware entity because they are familiar with how the law works there. They know what their protections are. They aren't going to be, you know, blindsided by some, you know, state specific nuanced law that they weren't aware of that puts them in an adverse position. So really it's just about uniformity of, you know, law, you know, that's ultimately going to protect their investment. Got it. Okay. Well, that was a good, good little podcast, ton of info there. Right. Oh man. I know. How do you guys feel? I mean, I feel like I just got knowledge dumped on me. And I also feel very fortunate that I'm working with you guys because I would have gone, you know, into a spiral trying to figure this out on my own. And I know I'm a small, small business and, you know, I'm not, I'm not qualified yet to figure out whether or not I need to be a C Corp, but it sounds like most, most small businesses as, as a default, if you're kind of operating on a, on a smaller scale, especially if you're an army of one, like me, you know, LC, tax as an S corp is, is kind of the way to go. If you can, if you can manage it, if you're a bigger company that needs to get larger investors coming in over time, it sounds like it's more of a C corp. And then yeah. I couldn't, yeah. 
Yeah. So, I mean, you know, really when we see people start as a C corp, it's, you know, they are immediately looking to attract significant capital, um, you know, but I would say the lion's share of small businesses out there are like yours, where, you know, you start off with, you know, just an owner operator, maybe a handful of employees, um, you know, and you're just trying to find the most tax advantageous uh, vehicle, you know, uh, until you grow uh, to a point where you need to consider some other things and cross a bridge when you, when you get there. Um, yeah. But I mean, ultimately, you know, it, it's just really about what your trajectory is and kind of where you're, where you're at at, at this moment in time. And like I was mentioning earlier, you know, S corporations are really just the lion's share uh, of a lot of small businesses uh, because of that self-employment tax uh, element there. So Anyways, um, Eric, thank you very much. Um, and as mentioned on our commercial, if you want to get in touch with Eric uh, for your tax services, tax advisory, tax preparation, tax resolution, you name it, he is available. His email is Eric, and that's Eric with a K, at darkhorse.cpa. And now for the disclaimer, the content in the preceding podcast should not in any way be construed to be tax advice. All tax laws are nuanced and thus are applied to each unique situation differently. Don't be a dummy. Hire a CPA, preferably a dark horse CPA.